Not long ago, in a far-off corner of a place called the Internet, a revolution was born. Forged in the fires of common experience, the survivors of a mysterious movie known only as A Talking Cat came together. Their purpose, to dissect this fascinating failure of a film and broadcast their findings through the cosmos in hopes that future generations might learn from their mistakes. Some would call them heroes, others would call them mad, but despite the grueling road ahead of them, the group would take up the Sisyphean task and become a talking cast? Are they adventurers, sinner as a savior's or Are they demented, love the punishments, I can't be sure But one thing I do know is that the mission here to force To make your life so hard that you'll be pissing on your kitchen floor Hi, and welcome to A Talking Cast The A Talking Cat podcast that no one asked for, but we're doing it anyway I am your host, Sammy C, and I am here with our producer, Darren Husted. Hello. Hello. Welcome. This is your uh, this is your first time being on the podcast. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast, and I'm very excited to welcome you to the cast to talk about this excellent minute. Uh, you are listening to episode 40. For those of you following at home, uh, first of all, like I always say, I hope things get better, and to stop that. Um, but if you are following along at home... It is uh, minute 39, which is uh, time code 3901 through 40. And basically, we start to feel this is a this is a very romantic. We get um, Susan and Phil, who have already met and shared. Um, have they shared water yet? I thought they. Sh- I think they shared water in the last minute, didn't they? Yes, I believe. Yeah, I believe they have shared yeah. water in the last minute. But this is yeah. this is part of uh, one of their first encounters. Phil has has imposed upon her and entered her house uh, as a complete sweaty mess, and he comments <laughs> on the fact that he is a sweaty mess. And uh, Susan is like, "Oh, you look nice." She really, she really damns with faint praise. She's like, "Yeah, um, nice." Uh, <laughs> and then Phil, Phil is completely correct in that she is too, too kind. Yes, yes. Because that is that is being way, way too kind. Yes, and and you could tell like she says it in a really like half-hearted kind of way, but he, uh, his facial expression, his like the way his eyes kind of light up is like way too much it's like okay so phil is so not used to hearing any compliments whatsoever he lives with i mean he lives with chris right who basically just ignores him right. all the time right or if he attempts any communication with him he just he just is full of disdain so yeah you know having having a human being who's actually willing to to like talk to him <laughs> as another human being yeah. Um, and and who is not a talking cat? <laughs> At this point, I think Phil has only talked to Chris and Duffy, hasn't he? Before he I th- met Susan. I think so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So this is like it's ta- it's taken him almost <laughs> half of this film to get to a point where he's having an interaction with another human being who doesn't hate him. <laughs> Or isn't a talking animal like yeah. so? If you're Phil, someone paying you a compliment at this point, because I mean Duffy's conversation with him was basically, you know, you're an idiot. Right. Um, why don't you go walk in these gigantic woods that surround your massive mansion? <laughs> yeah. And that's a terrible impression of Humphrey Bogart, which I think is what we're about to get into. Yes. Phil describes his life now. 
Yes, uh, he says, you know, I've spent a lifetime in windowless office buildings drinking coffee. I'm no Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Which is just a bizarre thing to say in general. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, let's face it, most people are no Humphrey Bogart because we don't go around wearing, like, what, raincoats and fedoras and... <laughs> right. Like, like who, who, is, who is Humphrey Bogart these days? No one. Right. No one is Humphrey Bogart, so... Right. Phil is stating the obvious there. He's just like, I'm no Humphrey Bogart. No, you're not, Phil. No one's Humphrey Bogart. That's, you know, exactly. everyone is everyone is other people. They're not. So I don't, I don't know what you're trying to. I think it's, yeah. I mean. I mean, I, 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 he means it in the sense of like, I'm no George Clooney or whatever. But like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like he's, uh, you know, even if you're obsessed with Humphrey Bogart with Phil Apparently he is, in the, even though he can't do a an, an effective impression of him. It, not only can he not do an effective impression, he cannot quote any Humphrey Bogart lines. <laughs> no. He can just say really weird, generic, like, 30s gangster lines. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. he's, he is neither a Humphrey Bogart impressionist, nor a Humphrey Bogart quoter. No, not at all. He's neither. So he's, he's literally nothing to do. And at this point, he's admitting... <laughs> He is no Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> and he's not wrong. Yep. And <laughs> but he's piqued Susan's interest because in the next line she's like, "Oh my God, I love Humphrey Bogart," <laughs> and she says Humphrey Bogart in the weirdest way <laughs> you have ever heard anyone say the word. Hum- it's Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey. It's like <laughs> it's like it's like you can tell the actress is like, is like, who the hell is Humphrey Bogart? <laughs> I, th- I think actually, Christine DeBell, I think she, I mean, she may have, I, don't, I can't remember, I don't know when Humphrey Bogart died. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure she knows who Humphrey Bogart is. It's just yeah. the way she says it, that is the way she like overpronounces it. It's, like, it's the first <laughs> yeah. time she's ever heard that name. Yeah. And it's a, it's, I can understand because it is a weird name. Like Humphrey is a weird name, but <laughs> yeah. there's no need to say it like that. Right. It's and... like if you say any word over and over again, it sounds weird. Um, but she's saying it for the first time and it sounds super weird. So. <laughs> and so apparently she taped the marathon that was on last night <laughs> because yeah. that's the only thing on TV in the Talking Cat universe. What's the weirdest thing is, like, she doesn't say, di- she could have said DVR'd. Yeah, or I recorded. If she wanted. She could have said, said TiVo'd if they're going to go name brand. Right. Um, but given that they say cheese puffs instead of, <laughs> I, I don't know, whatever... I, being not American, I mean, I my understanding of what cheese puffs are is there is a crisp over here. I say it's not a crisp; mm-hmm. it's a corn snack called oh, so what's called what's its. Okay. And that's what cheese and that's what cheese puffs are. They're like little bits of corn have been puffed up and then covered in like cheese dust. I think Cheetos right. is probably right. Yeah, the you're equivalent. thinking of like Cheetos or cheese balls type of deals. But yeah, I think I think like when the cheese puffs that she's referring to, there is an American baked good that is pretty complicated to make actually. Um, that you'll find at like. Um, it's kind of like a dinner a dinner roll type of situation. It's a puffy okay. bread with cheese kind of baked into the dough. I mean, they're quite okay. tasty, but they're they're difficult to make and which is why it's weird that this is her <laughs> thing that she's constantly making because it's kind of a process. If you're taping something, you've got what? 4 hours on a tape? What's that? Right. Two films? Right. That's not a marathon. I just said, I recorded the marathon that was on last night. So she says she taped it, and I guess, you know. So, yeah, I mean, and, and we're going to get into this as we as we go further into the minute, but I think this is one of the least believable conversations <laughs> in the film, which is saying something. 
because uh, there's a lot of just shoehorning things in, like that Humphrey Bogart reference was weird. Here's what I do believe, though. I believe I believe that when Johnny Whitaker says, I've spent a lifetime in windowless office buildings drinking coffee, I believe that when he stopped being a child star, until the moment that Mary Crawford gave him the call to be in this film, <laughs> that is what he was doing. That's- yes. I believe I believe him when he says that. When he says he spent a lifetime in windowless office building, yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that. That's, yeah. That sounds like in that moment, you're like, I, I think Johnny Whitaker's had a hard life <laughs> from <laughs> yes. being a child star to being whatever he is now. Um, which, given that he's appeared in a couple of these talking animal films, I think, I don't know, he's he's just like David Dakota who's drinking buddy or something. I, I I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Phil's like, oh, you saw that too. I mean, saw the whole marathon, saw one film. Yeah, That's not really. Or saw that it was happening. And then it's like, it was great. Well, of course, it's Humphrey Bogart film. Yeah. And then here comes the, now this next exchange. I mean, if you want to take over, this next exchange right. is my favorite because yes. it's so weird. Yes, this next exchange is so bizarre because it, I feel like he says, what's your favorite Bogart movie? And... You know, we're gonna get that's into a, that's that. a reasonable question. Yeah, that's which a is reasonable a reasonable question for someone to ask. If you've just said, "I love Humphrey Bogart," yeah, you're gonna say, the next que- "What's on your, your mind favorite?" Be, yeah, what's your favorite film? Right, exactly. Or like, you know, anytime anybody mentions an actor or a director that they enjoy, you ask them what their favorite of that person's work is. Yeah. But you know, first, <laughs> but for the rest of this, I'm just gonna put it out there for the rest of this minute and the rest of this exchange, no title of any film is mentioned <laughs> ever and the, these are both apparently bogart buffs are obsessed we've heard the name humphrey bogart now mentioned three times right in three lines so <laughs> right. you're thinking at this point they're setting it up they're gonna say like casablanca they're gonna they're gonna be naming the big ones they're gonna right. be naming the films right and then also we haven't mentioned but there's already been one shot of duffy Yes. Just looking around like a yeah, cat. Just just being a cat. He was, evidently was also a big Bogart fan. So we've got a, we've got a tiny, tiny, tiny house <laughs> with three huge Humphrey Bogart fans. I'm thinking maybe we'll get some Duffy voiceover of, of him going like, yeah, I love Casablanca or come on, Phil, why didn't you think of that? Like, right, I, what exactly. I'm expecting is I'm like in, I'm expecting a clinic on Bogart right now. Right, exactly. And then what we get is, is just the going, strangest. Wow, there's so many... I have them categorized <laughs> by genre and some by co-star. Well, that doesn't answer her que- his question at all. Like, <laughs> he didn't ask, how do you have them categorized? Yeah, he but was she's like, like... Yeah, I have them categorized. It's like, okay, all right. It wasn't like... He didn't ask, do you have any Bogart-specific neuroses <laughs> like he asked what's your favorite film he didn't say so what weird thing do you do with bogart films <laughs> and uh then there's another just shot of duffy just hanging out phil's response phil's response is and they call me ocd <laughs> Which, there's been nothing in this film that has indicated that he is at all OCD. When she's like, I have them categorized by genre and some by co-star, my response wouldn't be, and they call me OCD. It would be, what are you talking about? I asked you what your favorite film was. <laughs> right, right. It's like, it goes back to this... this I didn't this... ask, what? how are you crazy? I just asked, what's your favorite Bogart movie? <laughs> right. And it, it's, it goes back to this this theme in this film where everybody just kind of talks past each other. So this 
and they call me OCD line drives me absolutely insane because it is a complete mischaracterization of the Phil character that we have seen so far because this is a man who has like zero control over his life. He his house is decorated by somebody else. He decided to retire because this nebulous they said that he had enough money to do so. <laughs> And he doesn't really seem to, you know, have any particular way that he likes things. That's kind of his whole character. So there's no reason why anyone anywhere would call him OCD. He doesn't seem to care about anything down to his appearance. He's the least OCD. I know some people who have and insist they don't have OCD. Right. Uh, when they do have OCD, because I've seen the way they behave. Right. Um, for example, should I accidentally put my cup on a table and the coaster be at a slight angle, they'll correct the angle and they'll correct the <laughs> cup. And that's before I've even gone to grab it. Right. So I know what OCD behavior looks like, mm -hmm. and he is not OCD at all. <laughs> like, you know, his house is, is, is like impersonal. Like, OCD people, although they, like, clean... I mean, you could argue that his house is clean. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I but, guess. You know, so maybe there's that, but, like, he lets... He lets for, for instance, he lets a stray cat wander into the house. Yes, exactly. That's and not then the just behavior. Feeds it, yeah, and then just feeds it and then lets it wander off somewhere around the house. And, when, and he lets the cat come and just, like, sit on the bed, like... <laughs> And jump up on the counter. Like, these are things that people who are OCD would definitely not. Right. I mean, obviously, there are different types. We don't want to right. generalize too much. We're not going to generalize, but, but still, no. this is not somebody who, you know, I mean, the general the general thing about OCD is wanting to exert a lot of control around your environment. And that yeah. is not something yeah. that Phil has demonstrated ever. And so oh, no. No, he has he has no control over his life, apparently. Right, right. Company gets sold out underneath him. His son just walks off and ignores it. And as I say walks off, I mean, he watches him for six minutes to send a staircase. But, yes. like, you know, his son just wanders off in mid-sentence. Like, yeah. he goes for a walk. Because a cat told him to. Let's, let's just point that out. Yeah, so, so, and he doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> He's ill-prepared. He doesn't even take a water bottle. And I'm, I, you know, I I don't live in wherever this is set, but it seems quite warm outside. Right. I would, I would at the very least take the water bottle and maybe dress slightly more appropriately for walking a distance. But right. he, he just wanders off. Um, I don't think he could have died because there's a waterfall yeah. somewhere. Yeah, he would have been okay. Seen, which we've seen num numerous times, but still, like the fact that he has to basically stop at a stranger's house right. and ask for water. Right, he has to just walk into a single woman's house, you know, <laughs> yeah. asking for water. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and so Susan defends her neuroses by saying, "Well, you have to. There are so many. There's the war-related stories, <laughs> the detective stories." It's like, you can't name one, you know? Like, yeah. They've said, I taped the marathon, which seems a little too specific. They could have gone a bit more general with that. But right. then for the rest of this, they've just gone so general. Like, war-related stories? Not even war stories. <laughs> right. They're related to war. What are, are they, what are they about? People who are making, like, 
you know, sewing the the uniforms or like or, or what? Like, how related are they to war? I mean, people who make those maps where they push the little figures to show where the front is. I mean, like, it just—it sounds like a really like. Oh, they're just ex- there's stories about people who are auxiliary to war. They're related to it. They don't take part war in the related, war. Yes. Yeah, that's that, even that's a really weird. Yeah, like, it's a word weird, choice. Weird term, and and then Phil makes. He makes kind of a weird, like, kind of confused face, and he's like, well, what about the love stories? And <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to be flirtatious or if he's just, like, trying to operate on this weird, generalized level that Susan is operating on. It does seem like he's going for, like, he's like, she's not in his head. If I was Phil, in my head, I'd be going, well, I asked her for her favorite, and yeah. she's, she's just naming genres that I've never heard of. Right. Um, like, and everyone, when you say the detective stories, obviously everyone's thinking, oh, they're going to, like, Phil's maybe going to say, like, uh, one of the, like, a Humphrey Bogart, like, detective story. Right. Like, Maltese Falcon, something like that. Right, exactly. You know, but no, no, he just goes, he just immediately <laughs> changes the conversation. And I think it's probably because this is the first human contact he's had, <laughs> apart from his disdainful, hateful son. Right. Or the, the company that hated him so much that right. they basically or- sold themselves out from underneath. I just imagine a whole company of, like, 50 people having this gigantic meeting and being like, look... We're all going to be taken over. We're all essentially going to be out of a job, but at least we won't have to see Phil every day. And so he is, you know, just trying to operate on Susan's level, I think. And he's just trying very hard. And Susan's not really helping him out too much. Oh, no. She's gi- she's giving him less than nothing. Yes. She, you know, she can't even say Humphrey Bogart's name correctly. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. So he says, what about the love stories? And she says, well, I like those too. They kind of creep up on you. <laughs> Which I think in some ways is the writer kind of put, just putting in, like, isn't Phil a creep? He's like trying to, <laughs> after Phil says love, Lee, uh, Susan immediately goes creep. You know, they kind of creep up on you. Yeah. So, and um, the thing the thing is as well, Phil doesn't, it's not like Phil expands on it and goes, yeah, you know, it's they're really emotional or they're really right. clever or, you know, what about the chemistry between Bogey and Bacall? Instead, right. he's just like, yeah, they do. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think this is the writer's attempt to make it be like, oh, they're finding love in an unexpected <laughs> way. This is where there's subtext, but it's just so such a general and weird conversation that no one would ever have in real life. That... No. no. Okay. And here's here's the thing as well, it's like if people are like fans which means fanatic if someone's fanatical about something right they don't they don't talk in generalities you, right. you, you talk like you talk in generalities when you have no idea what someone else is talking about <laughs> right. exactly so if someone was to say to me what about the super bowl i go yeah wow what about like i i didn't watch the super bowl right. you know it was on at two in the morning so i was fast asleep right. but Why would sti- you? like i would i would speak in generalities i'd right. be like yeah it was great you know all the all the throwing of the ball and the kicking of the ball and yeah. you know know all those touchdowns wow what what an ending when um you know the the team the one team bested the other team yeah yeah exactly do they call them teams are they groups are they i don't know you know but i would i would i would take i would take my cue from the other person who was enthusiastic about it and go yeah you know like and and Phil is sort of doing that, but but Susan is being so general that he's got nothing to hold on to. So he's just like, yeah, they do. That's true. Like yeah. So you have these. So now you have. We've gone from talking specifically about Humphrey Bogart films, 
to just talking about general potential plot lines like oh you like detective stories you like love <laughs> stories yeah let's talk about that well clearly duffy is seeing something <laughs> but happening between these two that we are not uh, i mean this is in terms of minutes and i'm not saying i saved this one for myself right but this final line of this minute is just so brilliant because it is a complete contradiction of everything that you have just watched for 60 yeah, seconds. It just shows... And in fact, if you're watching this scene, this scene goes on for like 90 seconds because there's a little bit of in the in the previous minute where where they meet and they get the water and there's that weird shot of the the extremely long arm where <laughs> like the, it, it seems like they shot it on two different days but i know this film was shot over three days yeah, so that yeah. is not possible um like they were shot one in july and another in like september because the anyway so this scene is almost two minutes i think of just them talking right and it's awful it's yeah there's literally no, no part of it is oh it is no part of it is good and yet and Duffy's Duffy's voiceover says he says, "I am too good sometimes," <laughs> and he, you know he's thinking loudly, and he kind of there's a little bit of a chuckle, you know, like, "Aha, this yeah. plan is coming together perfectly," and it's <laughs> like, really, two people are having an awkward, terrible conversation that they're neither getting anything out of. But yeah, I mean, maybe they're both just very excited to be having a pleasant conversation. What he's done is he's travelled to Phil's house, said take a walk in the woods, and then travelled all the way back to Susan's house in the hopes that Phil would, <laughs> what, be thirsty at this point in the journey? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, what if Phil It's like a had... really weird... <laughs> right. It's a really weird gambit for him to attempt. He's like, yeah, um... I'm gonna I'm gonna go like four miles down the road. I think that's the point at which Phil will almost be dying. <laughs> so he will ask for water at this point, and then because I know he because he was Duffy obviously was in the room when the Humphrey Bogart thing was going on. Right. So he's just like, oh yeah, I know Phil likes Humphrey Bogart. I know Susan likes Humphrey Bogart. Uh, like yeah. even from this conversation, I don't know that she likes Humphrey <laughs> Bogart, but apparently Duffy knows that. Yes. So Duffy's plan so far involves. And bearing in mind, he hasn't talked to Susan. So no. he's been in the room talking to Tina, and he's talked to Trent, mm -hmm. but he's yet to talk to Susan, and I'm not sure if he ever actually does talk to Susan. I don't think he does talk to but... But anyway, so somehow he knows that Susan <laughs> is going to be watching the Humphrey Bogart. I don't think he was there for her conversation with Trent, was he? No, was I don't think he was, no. but... When she, when she was like... Where when Susan made the weirdest suggestion to her son of why don't you join me for a Humphrey Bogart marathon? <laughs> and he's like, um, absolutely not. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go hammer at a fence again. Thank you very much. I'm going to. I'd rather do that. I'd rather in the dark hammer at a fence for eight hours while you watch Humphrey Bogart films. But so I don't know how, but Duffy knows that she's watched the Humphrey Bogart films. He right. was present for for. for Phil watching the Humphrey Bogart films. So then his, the next step of his plan was, go for a walk in the woods. I will run to the nearest house that I think you will become exhausted <laughs> next to and need water because yeah. I know you're not going to take water with you. And what if Phil had taken a water bottle? Yeah, if Phil, if Phil had, had brought a water bottle, this whole plan falls apart. Yeah. So it's, it, hinges, it hinges on the biggest coincidence of, oh, um, Phil might get thirsty around this time. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, well, like here's the funny thing: it's like maybe like half a mile down the road, there's like a sorority house full of like new bar coeds, 
<laughs> and maybe what if Phil had been thirsty then? I mean, he would have creeped them all out, so they'd never right. let him in. Yeah, they but would still, be like, they would like throw a water bottle out the window and be like, <laughs> yeah, please leave. They would, yeah, they would be like, okay. They would literally fill a bucket of water and just pour it over them and go, now go out, get get out of here. You know, they would just, they would assuage themselves of the fact that they know he's not going to die. Right. And they would just be like, get out of here, old man, with, the, with the, whatever that is on top of your head, which, you know, cannot be described as hair because it doesn't look like that. But yeah, so like Duffy's plan, which apparently he is too good at, yes, <laughs> is to have Phil be thirsty at this point in the journey. Right. I don't think that he ever confirmed to Duffy that he was going to take a walk in the woods. He literally just, like Duffy said, take a walk in the woods, take right. a walk in the woods, and Phil ran off to get Chris. <laughs> like, exactly. He never said, okay, Duffy, I'll do that, or, you know finished up doing his terrible impressions or whatever he just literally ran off right it's not like it's not like duffy said take a walk in the woods and cross a bridge and go to this house yeah and talk to this person he says he says take a walk in the woods have a talk in the woods yeah which i mean you might just think is is that cat having a stroke what's going on there like take a walk in the woods have a talk in the woods and you're like huh we're here at the beginning of this relationship. Right. I mean, they got a little bit of it in the last minute, and I think um, I don't think there's. I think this is this is finished in terms of not only the end of this minute, but I think the end of this scene. Yeah, yeah, I think, because I think that, yeah, it ends on Duffy, you know, thinking that he is too good, and then just kind of yeah. staring off into the z- distance. And- okay, so I think we've uh, we've exhausted our conversation about this uh, <laughs> uh, this particular minute. Absolutely. Um, uh, do you have any closing thoughts about this budding romance? Only that it's possibly the worst screen romance that I've ever seen. And here's the thing, and this is an interesting piece of trivia. There was a uh, Christine DeBell mm-hmm. at her peak. Mm-hmm. She posed in Playboy. Right. Um, and then, a few, like a couple of months after that, she was on the cover of Playboy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the original artwork for the Christine DeBell cover sold at auction about five or six years ago for a million dollars. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. So, Christine DeBell's cover, April 1976, that was the month. Ah, okay. D- do you think she saw a cut of that million dollars? I, d- I don't <laughs> think she did. No, I don't think she did. Um, she's on the, she's on the cover of it, like, with a load of... In fact, it's a... <laughs> if I describe it, it's going to sound a lot more disturbing than it is. Um, but she's on the cover... Uh, one breast exposed wow. wearing like knee high socks and like a big fluffy skirt mm-hmm. with a load of kids toys around her on what looks like a white rocking chair yeah. and in her arm she's holding like a, a rabbit Yeah. which is obviously a reference to the Alice, Alice in Wonderland that she did right oh price yeah price of Playboy price of Playboy back there one one twenty five. Yeah, that you can you can get it on eBay. Apparently, uh, a signed copy by from Christine DeBell for a hun for a hundred dollars. I feel I feel sorry for her because that's kind of like that's kind of like what um, like old wrestlers were used to doing, like yeah. all the wrestlers from like the seventies and eighties who didn't get in on like all the big money of like the Hulk Hogan era. They're all reduced to going around like in the film The Wrestler, sitting at tables selling like signed like yeah. pictures of themselves in their prime. Um, so yeah, so she's so, kind of like Coco Beware. Yeah, you know, she's just signing signing old pictures of uh, of Playboy. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so the original artwork for that cover obviously without all the writing on it right um just with the masthead just with playboy and her, and that picture 
apparently sold at auction for one million. It was amongst. Wow. It wasn't like just that one by itself. Right, right, right. There right. was like there was like a, a whole series of them from. But the, still, the, I, I, I mean, think I'm... it's the. I think it's the photographer that was uh, who they were auctioning them for. Like whoever right. took those pictures. Yeah, and I'm sure there are like Playboy like collectors out there. But anyway, I mean there has to be. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely there's collectors. There's collectors for everything. Right. But yeah, so so you know. Yeah. I would so... urge listeners of of a talking cast to you know uh, look at that cover because I'll say this about Christine DeBell in April '76. Uh, you know she's 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 nice looking. Yeah, you know, she looks quite cute. She's even very if cute. that yeah. image does seem to suggest that she's underage. Yeah, she's very um, cute though. Because because this is quite. I mean, this is like a, a really heavy. Christine DeBell, like minute. Oh yeah, this is like this in is the, full Christine uh, DeBell in this. Yeah, because because the thing is, up until this point with Susan, it's just been <laughs> she's just been stuck between her two children arguing. <laughs> yeah, she exactly. hasn't really had any agency at all. <laughs> yep. Like she's been running in and out. Like and here you know, she's kind of controlling this conversation. So like like we said before, she's dictating the. Yeah. So this is this is like the first minute where Susan is not having to tell both <laughs> of her kids to stop fighting, um, and calling each other incredibly lame names. This is the first time where we've actually got to see Kristen Bell being, like, in charge. And so I, you know, I felt that that cover is. They feel this is the appropriate time to bring up that Playboy cover. Yes, I'm with you. You know. Yeah. So there you go. That's that's my only thought of this minute. There it is. All right. Well, Darren, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, no finally, it was an absolute delight. Um, <laughs> and uh, thank you all out there for listening. And you can find us on social media at a talking cast, uh, facebook.com slash a talking cast, soundcloud.com slash a talking cast. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, and please rate it and rate and review us on there. We don't have, we know we have a lot of listeners who haven't reviewed, so we'd love to hear from you. And yeah, thank you again, Darren, and thank you, listener. No problem. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Minute by minute. That's so they'll be diving in to shed some clarity on this hilariously failed attempt. So grab a friend and crack a beer with them and listen in. The talking cast is about to begin. It's a- that was episode 14 of A Talking Cast with your host, Sammy C, and your guest, me. Edited by Darren Husted. Music by Casey Trimble. Voiceover by John Kovaleski. Artwork by Josh Hollis. Executive producers Sarah Cantor and Darren Husted. Copyright 2015. All rights reserved. This podcast is not affiliated with Rapid Heart Productions. A Talking Cat is owned by Rapid Heart Productions. No infringement is intended. For the memory of Charles Harris.